So I have a leading question for us today. It happens to be about what we talked about at the tables. Um, who in here, I mean, have you ever lied? Yeah, you, you kind of saw that coming. <laughs> All right, whose hand wasn't up? Let me see it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we, right, we, have, we have all, at least in some form, uh, lied. If you've ever put like a filter uh, on your you know, Snapchat or Instagram account, well, I mean, that's like a, the bare minimum that would be required for, uh, for, a, for a lie. But if you've ever gotten a haircut and you turn around, like you're kind of facing away from the mirror and you turn around and like you see the bowl that is now on your head, but you don't want them to continue because it's only gonna get worse. So you say, yeah, I love it. It's perfect. All right, move on. Let's, let's finish this haircut and get on with my day. Um, oh, if you've, ever, if you've ever seen like you know, a little kid brings a drawing up to you and it's, you know, of your family. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that doesn't happen. That, nev- that never happens. Um, or this, is, this one's kind of like more often maybe with guys than, than the girls in the room. Um, when we've got a project we have to do and the question like, hey, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> I've got YouTube right here. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> all right, here's one all of us in this room have lied about. Every time you see that huge scrolling text and at the bottom of it, it says, I have read and agreed to the terms and condition. <laughs> like, could you imagine if, if that was a person that brought up like a book, because that's how long it is, and handed it to you and you just looked at them and said, I've read it. <laughs> like, I know you didn't. <laughs> Uh, that's that's something we've all we've all kind of kind of lied about. Um, or, or, and this I have to be I have to be careful about this um, because we we've all met uh, right across the board. We all agree babies are adorable, right? Great. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> all right. Uh, I've just got a few more. Uh, you ever been asked, you know, what's what's going on? And you reply, I'm fine. Hmm. I'm fine. That is code for you're not fine. That is a white lie. <laughs> um, or this, this one, sometimes, you know, girls or guys, you know, oh, yeah, I'll be ready in five minutes. And, f- and for maybe for ladies, it's like putting on makeup. For guys, it's like, you know, I'm still wearing stained shorts and I just started power washing the deck. Like, yeah, I'll be ready in five minutes. I'm good to go. And the last one, if you've ever been pulled over, all right, who's been pulled over? The first question that the officer asks, did, did you guys raise your hand? <laughs> Do you know why I pulled you over? <laughs> no, officer. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's probably for speeding. Do you know how fast you were going? No, I don't know. Even though if you were being honest, you would say, I was going 63 and a 55 because I figured if it was less than 10 over, you wouldn't pull me over. But here we are. <laughs> We've all kind of shared those, those little white lies, and most of them are, are pretty harmless. Um, today, uh, I, I bring up these little white lies because Paul, this church planter, has got the opportunity to kind of beef himself up um, and, and maybe not break the truth, but bend it just like a little bit. Like when you're talking about uh, the speed limit, which is like the spirit of the speed limit, uh, you know, you can go five to seven over and that's fine. You can kind of bend that law a little bit. Paul's got the opportunity to do that and he doesn't. We're going to dive into what that looks like um, and, and really the the, the the ending question that we're ending with today, which is why it's called the ending question, uh, is, is if, if we were to examine our lives, if somebody were to examine our lives from the outside, would our lives tell little white lies about who Christ is? Some of those seem harmless, but some of those can mean really big things. So we're going to kind of dive into that 
I want to catch us up to where we are. Uh, if, if you're kind of joining us for the first time this morning, we're going through the book of Acts, which is that title right there. Um, we're in chapter 24. Basically what's happened so far, we met Paul, the church planter. He's been planting churches. He had this call to go to Jerusalem. His friends were like, no, don't go to Jerusalem. And he's like, I have to, because the spirit is calling me there. So he's confined by the spirit, goes to Jerusalem, answers God's call, says yes, even though it makes no sense. He's in Jerusalem. Things are going great until they aren't. And the Jewish population decides, I don't like this guy. He's a threat to our sort of way of life. And so they, they start just beating them. Uh, and they've got to stop. The, the Jewish population actually has to stop because the authorities come up, right? And they kind of like uh, run away. So the authorities, Roman authorities kind of take him into custody, into the fortress, the Roman fortress that sits on the temple mount where God's uh, presence is. So they bring him into the, the, the fortress, the Roman fortress on the Temple Mount, and, and they said, all right, we should flog him to figure out why all these people are mad at him. And he's like, no, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that. And so uh, they don't do that. He gives his defense. They bring him to Caesarea, and now he faces a guy named Felix, who's, uh, who's his Roman governor. Now, some things we got to know about Felix and really Roman culture, Roman authority and corruption is that they would do anything to preserve Roman authority to preserve this sort of oppressive rule over this area. And that often meant violence. So Paul is off to this governor named Felix. Uh, this is a, like a life or death situation. There is a high probability that Paul is going to be tortured as he gets to Felix. Uh, the high priest, the, the chief priest of, 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 of the Jews, has these charges against Paul, and he has a spokesman, Tertullus. Uh, and the first nine verses of chapter 24 in Acts, Tertullus kind of lays out his charges against Paul. Now, to play to Felix's uh, ego and desire to, to make sure that, that Roman authority is held, Tertullus starts to like be a politician, really like buttering Felix up. Yeah, since you've started, we've had such peace in this area, even though peace meant whenever there was something that's coming up, you just killed the people, and that was peaceful. Then, you know, no one can fight if they're not alive. So that's what the Romans did. You know, we've had great peace since you started, and you've been such an awesome ruler in our land. Uh, but this guy, Paul, is a troublemaker. He's been uh, bringing up riots and uprisings, causing all sorts of trouble. And if you don't kind of snuff him out, you're going to face problems. Your authority as Rome is going to have issues. So Tertullus begins to butter him up and lay these false accusations against Paul. And that's sort of where we pick up the story. So Acts 24, if you want to follow along, I'm reading out of uh, the ESV, the NIV is at your table, and the ESV will be up here. So verse 10 starts, uh, and when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, here's the quote, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. I'm going to stop as we kind of work through this text. First of all, uh, you ever had a bad Monday and you're expected to like be cheerful? Paul is having like the worst Monday, right? He's just been wrongfully accused, literally beaten. Uh, I mean, his, his skin, based on, based on what he's experienced in his life and in his ministry, uh, Trent likes to say, it's probably looking like hamburger at this point. Um, and Paul cheerfully gives his defense, uh, we're going to come back to that verse kind of near the end as to how in the world Paul, who was probably in pain and in chains, could give a defense cheerfully. But we read on verse 11. 
He's talking to Felix. You can verify that it's not been more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And they didn't find me disputing with anybody or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or the synagogues or, or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. Basically what they're saying is, uh, as a Roman citizen, Paul was a Roman citizen, he had a right for the people who were accusing them to be present. Um, One, they aren't. And he's basically saying, look at my life. Bring the charges, but look at my life. Verse 14. But this I confess to you. Confession moment. That according to the way, which is what the the Christ-following movement was called, Uh, which they call a sect, the sect of the Nazarenes, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Um, We can kind of blow right past this, but this is a huge, a huge statement from Paul. What Paul is saying is that God is not just like doing this new thing, entirely new thing, uh, but this, this is what all of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, what God has always been about, has come to fruition in Christ. He's, he's continuing the story, and it, it doesn't. Uh, you might you might you might have missed this sort of shift, but it's not just a brand new thing that he started. This goes back to the beginning. So Paul is 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 uh, associating himself with the God of his fathers, with the God of his ancestors, with the Jewish God, the God of Israel. Paul continues, verse fifteen, having a hope in God, uh, which these men themselves, these Jewish men, accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Paul, probably more than anybody alive today, knows the law, knows the prophets, knows the Old Testament, knows what God has been doing in and through his people. Uh, and he basically says, I've, I have great pains in my life to make sure that I'm following this law. Not only that, but uh, he lives his life in such a way um, that he follows as best as he can, but he's a sinful person, the best that he can, uh, the law of God, as well as not causing these, these uprisings and uproars in Jerusalem or in Rome. Like he's, he's following the Roman law where it doesn't conflict with uh, the, the Old Testament law, and he's kind of pleasing both God and men, of course, imperfectly because he's, he's only a human being, but basically is what he is saying is you can look at my life. Everything that I do is for God and for others. Verse 17, now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation, and to present offerings. So while I was doing this, they, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or, uh, or, or any disturbance. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you make an accusation. Should they have anything against me? So he says he brings these alms uh, to his nation, his people, and to come and bring sacrifices. What's cool is you can read this uh, actually like in Galatians and Romans and 2 Corinthians where Paul is going to the local churches around and collecting money for some of the impoverished uh, followers in Jerusalem. Uh, so you can really read back through and you can ask. what He's laying out this defense that just says, look at my life. It will speak for itself. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. If you have charges against me, he says, bring them. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. And 
back in just a couple of chapters ago in Acts, uh, when Paul was uh, basically because of the violence about to be like ripped in two uh, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection, the Pharisees do. Basically, Paul kind of tossed that word out there, resurrection, and they started fighting. So he brings that up. That's all I said. So it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Um, So what Paul is doing here is he's kind of exposing the people who are laying charges against him for being the ones who cause uproar and uprising and trouble. He says, look at my life. Bring the charges if you must, but you can examine my life. It'll speak for itself. But if you look at what they've been doing, this is actually backwards. Verse 22. But Felix having now a a rather accurate knowledge of of the way of these these Christ followers, he put them off, saying, when Lysias, the the tribune or the the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion, uh, which is a a Roman soldier in charge of 80 to 100 soldiers. He gave order to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs." Um, so Felix, who is, this, uh, who is this sort of violent authority and oppression uh, uh, leveraging governor in Rome, basically is like, if, 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 I, if, I, if I kill him, there's going to be an, maybe an uproar because of the followers of the way. But if I, if I don't, uh, well, then there's going to be an uprising because of the Jewish population in Rome. So basically he says, you know what, go ahead and just put him in jail uh, and we'll decide at a later time, like to be determined. Which, he's put in jail. He's got, he's got some liberty, right? Give him a little bit more freedom uh, and make sure none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So you know, treat him a little better than the other prisoners that you have. Uh, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard Paul speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the, and, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, you know, go away for the present. So he's, he's afraid of this righteousness and self-control and the judgment that's coming after the resurrection. Go away for now. And when I get an opportunity, when I feel like it, I will summon you. At the same time, verse 26, Felix hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. Felix is hoping for a bribe, right? I'm going to go talk to this guy. He probably doesn't want to be in jail. I'm going to talk to him for a bit and maybe he'll offer me some money and then we can get him out of here and everything will be all right. So Felix sent for him and often conversed with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, Paul, under fire and under threat of death, if this whole jail thing doesn't work out, it's not going to end well for Paul. Under threat of, of death and possible torture, Paul decides to lean into truthfulness and integrity. What he could have done was pinpointed and and examined and analyzed everything that these people who were leveraging accusations against him. He could have kind of gone in depth and pointed out to Felix everywhere these men and women did wrong. And he didn't. His second defense here was basically, look at my life. It'll speak for itself. So two years 
goes by. And you imagine, now some of us, actually all of us, myself included, um, when we talk about evangelism, it gets kind of uncomfortable because the thought of, of trying to convince somebody to believe in Christ is like, oh my gosh, that's impossible. And yes, it is impossible because that's the work of the Spirit. He has been in conversation with Felix, this, this violent Roman authority, this governor for two years now. But he still presses on. So uh, under, th- under fire and threat of death, Paul could have backed out. He could have turned the tables on the Jews. He could have uh, kind of made sure he lifted himself up uh, and, and spoke about himself in such a way that, you know, uh, he's going to let him go and things are going to be fine. But what he decided to do was allow his life, which is based on the truth of the gospel, to speak for itself. And he spoke with honesty and integrity. Uh, Now, of course, all of us could verbalize that we want to speak with honesty and truthfulness and integrity. And some of us kind of believe the little white lie that if we do that, we'll get what we want. We'll get to where we want. God will bless us with prosperity or, or with good relationships uh, or, or with, uh, or, or, or with uh, I mean, money or, or, or new opportunities, open doors. If we speak with truthfulness and honesty, uh, then we might get to what we want. However, what happens to Paul? He's thrown in jail. I don't think he wants to be thrown in jail. I mean, I know we're separated by like 2,000 years, but I'm pretty sure that Paul doesn't want to be in jail for two years when he's got this mission to reach out uh, to the people who haven't heard of the love of Christ. Now he's in prison for two years with a little bit of freedom. And during that time, what we would think of as, as, as inane suffering, God was actually working. So it didn't get Paul where he wanted to be, but it did get Paul where God wanted him to be, which is exactly where Paul wanted to be, where God wanted him to be. And some of our scriptures were written when Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. God had plans in and through this suffering. Paul allows the truth of his life to speak for itself. Then he was thrown in jail for it, not getting where he wanted, but getting where God wanted him to be. When he decides to rely on truth, not just the truth of his testimony. So now, there's, I think, a deeper truth here. He's not just saying, uh, look at my life. That will speak truthfulness in and of itself. I think Paul, the reason his life will speak truthfulness on its own is because he believes in Christ so intensely. He believes in the gospel so passionately and the resurrection so unmistakably and uncontainably that he is willing to receive suffering if it meant living life in Christ. He would rather do that suffer in the life of Christ than to pursue the prosperity this world offers. And that's the difference. If you examine Paul's life, I think you wouldn't find even a hint. And he didn't do this perfectly, of course. You wouldn't find a hint of a white lie about who Christ is and who Christ was and what Christ did because he believed so intensely in the gospel and the resurrection and the saving grace and love of Jesus Christ that, that his life spoke for itself. The challenging question we face today is whether or not if we examined our lives, would our actions, would our words, would our relationships, would, would, would our free time speak for itself in such a way that says we believe so intensely, so passionately, and so unmistakably in the gospel of Christ uh, that we wouldn't even have to say anything about it. That our lives would speak for itself. Uh, the, problem, uh, the problem is when we do that, if we have the expectation we're going to get where we want, We might not ever get there. 
but we will most certainly be exactly where God wants us. So what are some of the things in our life that point out some lies about who Christ is? Even if they're seemingly little harmless white lies. And that could be that one of the lies that we believe is if, if and when we believe in Christ, um, that our, our, financial, uh, our, our financial portfolio is going to increase and we'll be blessed that way. Or, or that uh, our, our sort of family relationships uh, will improve immediately. That is not the case. That if we speak with honesty and integrity, if we believe in Christ and base our life on him, that we will never be sinned against, that we will never be wronged. We will never be hurt emotionally, physically, or spiritually, or otherwise. Paul knew. I really believe that Paul knew that to receive suffering, but life in Christ was better than pursuing the prosperity of this world. So my question for us, if we examine our lives, honestly, would we find some white lies about who Christ is? Now, I don't say that for us to feel like, oh man, I really, I really messed this up. Crap. But I, I think uh, Paul's got this sort of grit, this, this iron determination to pursue righteousness and to pursue holiness, but most importantly, to pursue Christ. So that's, that's the encouragement that we've got today uh, is, is not just to, 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 to think, oh man, we really messed this up. My sin is way too big. I could, never, I could never bridge the gap between where I am now and where God wants me to be, but to kind of like buckle up and receive, uh, receive the gift of, of repentance and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that sends us forward and brings us not to where we want to be, but to where God wants us to be, which is exactly where we want to be, where God wants us. So that's the question we're faced with today. If we examined our lives, would we find white lies about who Jesus is? Some of these things are dishonest mistakes. That's Okay. Paul was imperfect. He failed many times. Everybody in this room will fail many times. I have failed many times. Actually, uh, right before the service, uh, I, was, I was talking with, with Derek, um, and we were talking about rock climbing, which we, all, we had a group go rock climbing this past Sunday um, at, at Scrapyard, and they, they offer this group discount, which is awesome, because you only pay like 10 bucks for climbing and then five bucks for shoes if you have a group of 10 or more. We had more, but they also have this, this deal where if you come with a member and it's your very first time, you climb for free. But because we had the group, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. And so I suggested, man, we should have just had a group of 10 uh, and then have, you know, the four who were extra say, you know, I'm not a part of the group, but I'm, I'm with this member so that it was just a group of 10. And then I realized that I was talking about white lies today and it was probably not, <laughs> not a good thing for uh, for Pastor Andrew to, to encourage us to do. So if you go rock climbing tonight, I would encourage you to be totally honest um, and, <laughs> and truthful with your intentions about what you're paying for. Um, but in all seriousness, if we examine our lives, what would we see? Truthfully. Not in a way that's supposed to be shameful or guilt-driven, but to spur us on to righteous determination to pursue Christ and all of his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your goodness. And I thank you that, that, our, that, that our pursuit of you really isn't even dependent on us, but it's a gift. 
Father, help us not get to where we want to be, but to get where you want us to be. And help us to know that that's where we want to be. We love you. We worship you. We cherish you. And you're worthy of it all. It's in the name of your son, by the power of your spirit. For your glory, Father, that we pray all these things. All God's people said,